Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 142. Today's show is brought to you by Sue Sierra Lupe. Sue Sierra Lupe Herbal Consulting is open for business. I am a certified clinical herbalist who started practice in 2006, and I offer in-home and distance consultations, custom formulations, and holistic care in conjunction with existing diagnosis and medication. Contact me at sue at thepracticalherbalist.com. Ace High Heat Graphics, custom imprinted shirts and hats and pants and everything else, you can put a logo on it. If you can put some art there, they can put it on it for you. Visit them at acehighheatgraphics.com. Candice Hunter Creations, or actually Get Healthy Now with Candice. Get Healthy Now with Candice. Candice is able to do herbal consulting with folks both near and far. If you're interested in exploring some natural alternatives to deal with the healthcare issues you've got, or building fitness and preventing healthcare problems, give Candace a shout. You can find her at gethealthynowwithcandace.com or candacehunter.com. And Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free street reach integrated health clinic in Eugene, Oregon. We are proving that healthcare really is a human right. We are 501c3. Contact us at occupy-medical.org. Hunter Creation, graphic design and website designers putting your marketing ideas to life. Contact them at huntercreation.com for everything from business cards to brochures to posters to websites. They got you covered. Huntercreation.com. And the Herbal Nerd Society. The Herbal Nerd Society is the way that we keep this podcast going and our website, The Practical Herbalist. You can sponsor us and at the same time, learn every month about a brand new herb in very interesting ways. Herbal Nerd Society is a low-cost, paid-for membership, and all the proceeds go towards supporting Real Herbalism Radio, this amazing podcast, and The Practical Herbalist website. Join us now. All right. So, without any further ado, on with the show. Desert herbs have begun to call to more and more of us. These powerful plant allies, however, have been a well-kept secret of the Southwest, which makes them a challenge to try out. They beckon us to get out of the wildcraft for the privilege of using them. Today we're talking with Christina Sanchez, cosmetologist, desert wildcrafter, herbalist, and founder of Every Leaf Speaks about gathering and using desert herbs with the care and respect they deserve. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Susier Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Susier Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Christina, welcome back. Thank you. Hi. Nice to be back. Thank huh. you. This is the perfect time of year to start thinking about getting out and using some desert herbs. Because mm-hmm. I yep. have noticed that there's like no good sources online for them. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to no. find some of these, no. you know. And some of the times I've I've gone to even reliable sources for these desert herbs, and I get the bag in the mail, and I look at it and say, "Oh, oh what's this? This is old and sad. <laughs> look, it, it has no flavor or and color. I, I have nothing so. against old and sad, as I am sometimes old and sometimes <laughs> sad in combination. So it's not that's not my bias. But that's not what Listeners. you want your medicine, right? Right. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. <laughs> no, it's true. It's there's not a, I haven't found um desert herbs uh, available online, unfortunately. There's only one herbalist that has an online store that I found uh where I source I have to source one of the plants because it is Breton Yerba Mansa and it's through um Voyage Botanica, that's Michael Cunningham's website. And 
Yeah, he does offer a lot of desert plants on his website, but not too many, not too many, not too many folks are doing that. And I'm, I'm gearing up for that to offer online sales uh, to buy in bulk. Mm-hmm. Now that one is on particularly delicate. We will, we will make sure that we provide that link online for those of you like mm-hmm. myself who may not actually get down to the Southwest to do some, any wildcrafting anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you can, you should. I mean, now is the perfect time of year to get out, get down there and get started, right? At least it definitely. You don't have to, yeah. to wildcraft an entire bucket of something. No, just, a, just a, a couple of leaves, just to familiarize yourself with it, right? And to see it in its environment. I think that's one of the things that wildcrafters keep, especially students, keep making the mistake of doing all the time. Like, I have to collect this. I have to collect it. I have to use yeah. it. I'm like. Or you just have to get out and familiarize, bring a little bit back with you. The very first, Mm -hmm. yeah, the very first desert herb I worked with was creosote bush. And I had literally one two inch sprig that I brought back from me when I was with me on the airplane because I had to go on an airplane. But I had this one little two inch sprig and I worked with that for like six months more wow. like aromatically and I would have like a single leaf off of it. These leaves are tiny people. They're really, really tiny. So I'd be like one little leaf because I wanted to be careful and preserve it. So at that time in my life, I knew absolutely nobody in the desert. So it's not like I could, you know, write, oh, could you please send me a two inch spray? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I didn't have anyone to rely on, but it doesn't take a lot when you're first getting to know the plants. Mm-hmm. No. no, less is more. Definitely. Yeah. So what are some of the, um, if you're, if you're harvesting and using yerba mansa, what do you recommend for first time people? Well, what I recommend is to not, to not harvest, do not wildcraft yerba mansa, leave it alone. Um, because of the droughts, uh, climate change, uh, it, it's not growing as it used to. It's, it, it loves swampy kind of boggy areas. And mm. I've noticed, I've noticed colonies, but um, I, I don't touch, I don't touch them. If, if you can't grow your own, your own, if you can't grow your orange, if you can't grow your own, <laughs> then, um, you know, there's websites, for instance, I did mention, uh, Michael Cunningham's website. He does sell, um, bulk Yerba Mansa, uh, mm-hmm. drive. So you could Yerba Mansa root and Yerba Mansa, um, leaf and flowers. So that's what I do is I order from from, you know, Michael Cunningham's website. Um, there is Yerba Mansa here in the high desert. There is a place that I, I know where it grows. I don't tell anybody about it. It's a secret. And um, there's a great little, uh, it's called Cactus Mart. It's this, it's this wonderful place that focuses on desert plants and drought tolerant plants. And, you know, if you, if you can oh, nice. grow your own, I encourage folks to visit Nicole at Cactus Mart and buy you know, these plants that, you know, it's not like, for instance, white sage, it's, it's also another threatened species and it's over harvested, yeah. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I encourage folks to don't harvest, you know, because a lot of people want to make smudge wands. It's more medicine that I'm interested in. So mm-hmm. um, I tell folks to just just source from other resources and do not harvest from that. You know, yeah. it's- White sage is one of the ones that I've decided that I wasn't going to buy any more of those, mm-hmm. those kinds of smudge wands. <clears throat> I'm using the sage I grow in my own garden, which is culinary, true, but mm-hmm. it's my local garden and it's my local sage. And it seems to do a wonderful job of clearing space. Yeah. So it's, also in it's, our it's area, working. we have the Western red cedar. 
And that makes yeah. a fine that works really smudge well. as well. We, yeah. we have a lot of cedars out. We have true cedars out here as well. We're very lucky to have that incense cedar. <laughs> so using yeah. what you have in your area is uh, part of that spiritual walk is walking. You right. Know, going right. out there and familiarizing yourself with your with your bioregion and yeah. use what you know, obviously please don't use a toxic plant to smudge right. with you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that one, would be a poor one, idea. Yeah. One but, thing that I do want to say is like people um like creosote bush, it's been used in shamanic journeys and, and yeah. ceremonies. But the thing is is that like if you use creosote bush indoors it's actually toxic so there are i do encourage yeah. folks when they're starting when, with wall crafting mm -hmm. uh, to do research because you don't want to harvest something that you think that's going to that you could work with and it might be actually toxic right um, yeah so yeah. but yeah, in there's, artemisia there's, there's a ton of artemisias that that grow as weeds around here mm -hmm. the, the california mugwort for example oh called. yeah and that's a that's something that in traditional Chinese medicine, they use that as smudges as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. th there's no reason to have to put any kind of influence on some of these more delicate plants when you have these naughty little uh, visitors that are taking root and shading out some of our, our more delicate natives. You Use them. Just go ahead and use them. Why not? They're They're lovely to use. So I want to get back to the idea of desert wildcrafting, though, and the herbs that are actually okay and, and how to do it, how to do mm -hmm. it properly in the desert. Because the number of plants in the desert is considerably different than what you find, you know, in my backyard, <laughs> you know, right. or well, yeah. in a lot of our regions in where Oregon. we're not in desert areas. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just fewer of them. So how, yeah. what are some, besides creosote, because you said that's a really an abundant one, right? That's super, that's, yes, creosote is in abundance here. Uh, one thing, desert lavender is something that I like, um, something that I work with. It, it's an herb that I like because it helps ease anxiety, tension. Um, it's something, if I have an upset stomach, if I'm feeling a little swollen, a little pain mm -hmm. from my joints after climbing, this is something that I can work with as in a tea form. It's also antifungal. There's a, it, oh, one thing I want to talk about is that we didn't discuss this in the last time I was visiting with y'all, but yoni steaming. I actually have yoni steam with desert lavender, mm. and because she is an antifungal, um, you could. It's been used for sitz baths in the past for mm -hmm. any type of yeast infections, but I made an herbal blend, and creosote bush was one of them that was in it, and and ladies mantle as well. But I did a yoni steam with it, and it seemed to help you know, uh, I had cleared up pretty quick after I'll never take medication again, if I don't have to, but taking <laughs> antibiotics and secondary infections are horrible. Yeah. And rather than taking more medicine, I just explored with desert lavender and it did work. It was awesome, but it's something that I like to work with because it does, I notice it helps speed up the healing process of cuts and wounds and abrasion. So, um, I like her, but one thing I noticed is that folks, when people are learning how to wildcraft, they they need to learn to leave the plant as if you were never visiting. It had never been touched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially because of the lack of water and how the harsh, you know, it's it's so hot here in Joshua Tree and in the desert, you know, it's just period. It's like we don't get enough water. And so I always offer I always have a ceremony. And before I, you know, take from the plant, I always ask permission. I have, a, you know this process that I do for wildcrafting, but it's, um, 
I've seen some people I've been, <laughs> I went wildcrafting once with somebody and it, you know, they didn't know how to do it. So I had to teach people, you know, so it's like when you're taking from the plants, like make sure you do a lot of reading about how to harvest. And there's a really good book by uh, Charles W. Kane and then Michael Moore's uh, Medicinal Plants. Yeah. Of, oh, my! I love that book. And then um, Medicinal Plants of the America Southwest is one by Charles W. Kane, who I love because he's, they tell you how to harvest. They tell you when's the prime time, the season to do it. And they tell you what's medicinal of the plant. So education nice. is the main thing. Just don't go out there and harvest because you heard desert lavender is going to work for you. You need to know mm -hmm. like what part of the plant is and so right. that you don't destroy the plant. Just like you wouldn't be just sticking random things on your body. Just say, exactly. Oh, yeah. oh I, I have a mm -hmm. mild pain here. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to stick this on. Spray some. Spray some Windex on it. Yeah, just put some Windex. <laughs> on it. For those that don't know, that's Windex from the movie. Windex everything. Uh, my big fat Greek wedding. That's an yeah. allusion to that. If you haven't seen that movie, it's kind of a fun one. Uh, yeah, and we're not recommending Windex as a cure-all nope. either. It's just we're making a joke, folks. So don't, <laughs> listeners, you know, keep those emails aside for a second. <laughs> well, there was one point that I remember last fall that you had on your Instagram. You had a series of pictures talking about how you should not be hanging things from Joshua trees. Oh, oh people man. do that? Yes, and I thought that was something that, you know, wow. folks who are not from the desert really need to understand the plant structures of the desert are really different, radically uh. different from what you find, you know, in the forest. So tell me about the Joshua tree and what that was, tell me what that was about, what was going on All there. right, so there was a music festival here. There, there's a lot of music festivals in Joshua Tree, there's a, in, like, just festivals, yeah. period, that, that happened, that have been happening a lot more lately than they used to. And with that, it's drawing people from the city, the concrete jungles that don't know mm -hmm. enough about how to behave in nature. Right. And that this is something that strikes a nerve with me. I get very passionate. So that post you saw, I blogged about it. <laughs> yeah. um, there was this, there was, so, so people think that Joshua trees are actually trees. They're not, you know, they're actually, they're, they're, their root system is very shallow. Mm -hmm. And because of the drought, because of, um, I mean, they exist like there's, we have winds that could be up to 70 miles an hour up here. Right. And these Joshua trees are still alive. They're uprooted, but they tip over. And then these people come to, you know, to the national park and they walk all over them. They're doing yoga. They're, they think they're being cool and they're Instagramming all this stuff. So I'm part of a group called the guardians of Joshua trees. Nice. And we basically, uh, find posts by people that are hashtagging Joshua Tree, and we see posts of them damp, like causing more harm because just because the plant is down, the tree's down, or the sour plant is actually a succulent, doesn't mean that it's dead. Right. And so we're trying to educate people in the most kindest of ways, just to please refrain from posting photos like that because it's encouraging to other folks to do things like this. And so. For me, these Joshua trees are special. It, it, any weight on them will actually break one of the arms. Mm -hmm. Right. These, they, so they're very fragile. And, you know, it's it's it's, it's not, you know, that that's something that I, I, through education, that's one thing, like wildcrafting, through education. But there was this one person that was reluctant to, you know, delete her video of her hanging hammocks. People are hanging hammocks. Right. They're, they're hanging, you know, the, shoes clothing and and yeah. all of this weight over time we just don't want to encourage that kind of behavior and people that are you know 
folks that live up here, the community, we're very passionate about keeping the desert as healthy and, and preserving and maintaining. And it's through education that I find is, is going to be helpful. Well, I'm thankful that you do that. And I'm thankful that you're you know talking to us a little bit about, because like I said, the plant structures and the way that plants grow in the desert is really radically different from a vast majority of the rest of the country. I mean, oh, in, in Nebraska, if you happen across something that looks tree-like, most likely it is actually a tree and it may most likely be able to sustain the weight of your shoes, your clothes, whatever, you know, your hammocks, your hammocks. <laughs> your if body. you're, if it's of the same size trunk as a Joshua tree's trunk, then in, you know, Montana, it's going to be strong enough to hold it up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's certainly, yeah, yeah. And certainly in most of our cities, I mean, most cities, even desert cities, we've, we've transplanted a lot of those types of trees and plant structures. And then we water them sometimes, irresponsibly i mean you know sometimes Mm -hmm. it is irresponsible what we've done but Mm -hmm. you know most of us who have grown up in the cities we're not used to seeing what the desert plants look like we're not used to seeing how do you properly like the idea of creosote bush and you it's all over the place but that doesn't mean you have to harvest as much of that as you would dandelion in the city dandelion you're going to harvest tons of it because for one thing, it's all over the place and it's easy, but it's that's the level that you use it at. Whereas Crisode, you're using very, very small amounts because mm-hmm. it's so, it's potent. intense. Yeah. yeah. It's so potent. Yes, definitely mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And, and the thing, another thing that people don't understand about the Joshua trees is um, they, they don't live here. They come here to visit, you know, they yeah. come to hang out, they go to festivals, they come to some popular you know venues out here. They don't know how to behave in nature. And this is something that I have an issue with. I'm like, don't come here. Don't be out. Like, stay in the city if you don't know how to behave in nature. But, um, it, yeah, I really am a – man, I'm a I'm an eco-warrior when it comes to stuff like this. It, it's, uh, it makes me really upset when I see people walking off trails. So if you're going to go harvesting someplace – you know, you want to make sure that you're not stepping on soil that, you know, might have little plants growing. You know, right. you just want to be yeah. cautious of where you're walking and stepping and don't walk on plants and, and how much it takes. Um, but the Joshua tree issue, that's something that I, I'm it, it's it's something that folks are not understanding. And it's like, I don't know what it's going to take for people to understand that these are not trees, they're actually plants. They can break very easily. They're so fragile and delicate. Mm-hmm. They're, take a while to they're, grow. Their yeah. core, they're t- it takes forever to grow, and but their mm-hmm. core, it's it's almost hollow. So, yeah, I, yeah it's it's. Um, this, well, I, think, I, I hate to say I this. I think the but work you're doing is is really helpful. I wonder too if maybe starting to do more like leading nature walks and that sort of thing for festival goers might be a helpful thing. Because you, can you know, educate I, if they them. weren't hungover. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hungover, yeah. and that would be a great option. But yeah. I, I do feel that education that might be something that we could work with because one of the promoters of this uh, popular festival that happens in town brings in a lot of folks that are just, you know, Burning they're, man style. They're, they're not, they're hipsters, they're not yeah. like yeah. nature people. So, you know, they get out here and, and they yeah. just don't understand. So, we've actually gone back and forth with these promoters because since their festival we're seeing so many people hashtagging this festival's name as well as, um, you know, they're hanging their hammocks from Joshua trees. So right. it, it'd be great if we could somehow work together to educate people as to how to respect mother nature. Mm-hmm. What is the curse of in tourism in general yeah. is people yeah. come in and they don't understand what they're doing and they don't 
stick to groups anymore. And there's just so many more of them. We have right. a lot more human beings in the world now than we used to. And we're not, there are places people are going to that, like, if you go to Rome, there's a, there's a tour group, you know, right. you don't just like wander into someone's house, right? You know, you, you, go, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you go to the Colosseum yeah. when it's open, you, there's yeah. rules that you follow. There are right. places that you eat and places you stay and et cetera. And we don't have that same setup here in the West, particularly. It's still fairly rustic and we've, we're struggling with finances. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't have that long, long history of having tourists in, in a safe way. So we have people coming, blundering through. If you come to the city, you know, people laugh at the, at the country bumpkins or the tourists because, oh, look at them. You know, uh, did you leave your door unlocked or did you look at you wandering over there? Wow, you're, that's a bog. But they'll discover that soon. Hardy, har, har. You know, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not funny when you have the country fair, which we have in our area, a ton of those folks coming in and they're just treating it like it's a it, it's a place where they can just get drunk or get stoned and leave their trash wherever. And then they leave. And it, it isn't funny to us that end up having to pick up the trash. It's not funny to us no. that end up having to no. deal with the, the last of that remnants. And for you, you're in a very delicate situation. And I'm really, really grateful that you're offering that help to people. What other things would you, do you want people that come through to know about it? Well, I definitely want, this is one thing I encourage is um, taking a trash bag with you mm. because I find whenever I wild craft, depending upon the area, there's this one area I have to hike through that's, uh, tr- there's a lot of traffic. And um, unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that go there and it's sad that people leave diapers people leave their food they just leave so i i organized this cleanup some you know like last last fall yeah i've seen a couple of those that you've done and yeah yeah so you i I just want to educate people that like take a trash bag like take take a trash bag with you when you go foraging because you i I assure you're gonna find something like i find trash wherever i go unfortunately and it's because people are like not educating themselves and not becoming aware. um, I do want to encourage like learning about the plants, making sure when's the season to harvest because you don't want to harvest something that's not ready. Um, You know, there's, there's certain plants that like are better to harvest from in the spring than it is like in the fall. So education plus being mindful, you know, and have a connection with the plant. You know, I, I definitely, I don't, I asked permission, like I said earlier, I have this whole ceremony that I have with the plants. I mean, it just takes me forever to harvest, but I definitely ask permission, offer water. There's an, you know, there's something special that I offer to the plant to show appreciation to. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things is like, I do pick up the trash. I, I you know, I, I, it makes me really sad and it's very upsetting. And I see a lot of people that are just no education. They don't right. know how to behave in nature and, and we can't, we can't, correct all of that we could only educate so if we could be an example to others with our action like picking up trash will show others and shame them so it's like if I can shame you without saying a word so I'm picking up your diaper okay (laughs) I'll do it that's a good idea about bringing the water in as a offering because when you take those that plant matter you are taking the product of all of that water that the plant had to work very hard to take so you you've got some favorites your white sage creosote desert oh, lavender Joshua actually tree. white sage is on the well, no white, harvest list yeah white, white sage, sage river, is river monster, the, no harvest yeah. no harvest yeah. white, <clears throat> white sage is something that's over harvested 
many people, it's it's this trend about having sage wands now, the, the mm-hmm. smudging wands. And I encourage folks to purchase them from people that are actually growing, you know, for for that purpose, you know. Right. Um, don't, it, it makes me upset to see a sage wand bundle. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Like people think it's so cool. Like oh, I've got a smudge wand, but they don't know really what, what why they doing, have it. Yeah. They just, but it, for me, it's like, that's medicine. And that, you know, for me, white sage is something that's great. Like my mother who gets hot flashes, I make her a cup of white sage tea and that will help her like hot flashes. It will immediately stop her, the sweats that she gets at night. So mm. it's medicine. And for me, I think it's like, and you know, we don't need to, I don't know. I just, I'm not a big fan of smudge ones, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I have them, I have them, but I purchase them from sources that are like growing them. And I right. know who these people are. So, right. and for those don't, please, don't that are yet. listening and they're struggling with hot flashes, regular culinary sage is also on that list of things that work with that. Definitely. So you don't have Definitely. to get, you know, you're, you yourself, uh, Christina, you've got it growing in your area and you have your relationship with that. And, a um, people living in area, other areas may have, like Candace and I, we both have sage uh, officinalis growing in our gardens. So that's yeah. where our relationship is. And with herbalism, we always say over and over again, it's part of the relationship, having a good relationship. Now, a word from Thomas Easley about the Journal of Functional Herbalism. The Journal of Functional Herbalism is a free online journal promoting the integration of traditional Western herbalism, clinical nutrition, and functional medicine. It's published by the Eclectic School of Herbal Medicine, and you can find the Journal of Functional Herbalism at functionalherbalism.com. So what are some of these other so herbs t- that you like? That you have we talked about creosote bush. We talked about desert lavender. One of the ones I'm thinking about is pinion pine, which I realize pinion is an, pine. it's not really a spring one as much, is it? It's kind of more of a fall. Because oh, you're using the right? But because, tell me. yeah, pinion... Pinion pine is 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 awesome. I mean, you could even harvest pinion pine even in the spring, the winter, because it the, it's an evergreen. So the leaves, uh, the I'm sorry, the needles, the needles are still um, medicinal. Yeah, those and two and cool so needles are I am high in vitamin C. This is something mm-hmm. that I like to use for the cold and flu season. But um, the resin is something like I love to work with, and that's another thing that people need to learn about when you're harvesting. When you're wildcrafting in uh, resin, don't take the resin from the tree. There's, there's, you're going to expose it to, you know, bacteria. more injury. You know, you could actually kill the tree, bacteria, so forth, <laughs> and critters getting into it. So mm-hmm. it's for me the, the the resin is representation of the plant's life force. The yeah. tree, is, and, and it's deep, the deepest. I feel like I feel like it's like the blood. So yeah. I respect that. And when I'm gathering resin, which I, I, I use a lot of, uh, pin, I work with pinion pine resin oil a lot. I make a lot of that oil, but I look at the base of the trunk. I look at the tree. I look above me. I see where there's, you know, the resin falling and then I look on the ground and then I just dig and sift through the dirt. So, you know, and the beautiful thing is if you get one that has a lot of twigs, dirt attached to it, when you're making a resin oil, it all like floats to the top. And so you can, when you're decanting, it just all, you know, it, it, it goes away and you have this beautiful, pure, golden, beautiful oil. Nice. So, um, pinion pine is something I like to work with. It, I like to work with pinion pine cones, especially in, uh, a pinion pine cone strip that I make, 
with unripe Ooh, cones. That sounds so tasty. So, Give us an yeah, idea of what is, that is. Yeah. Please. Tell me okay. about that. So I um, had read a long time ago, it was a while back, about making a pinion pine cone syrup using unripe cones. So right at the point where they're just unripe and it's a perfect time of year. And, and I want to say we do this probably in early September, like I think maybe early September. Mm -hmm. um, we gather them and they're still green. Their clothes are perfect. And I just fill a mason jar up and I add brown sugar, but I've also added coconut um, sugar to it before. You can add whatever. And I found that it works, but I actually I sit it in the sun or you could just, you know, for me, I sit in the sun or you could do like a hot water bath and it sweats and eventually will make a syrup. But for me being in the desert, yeah. I find the most sunniest <laughs> spot and I sit it there. And I want to say in a week after I, we, you know, gathered a bunch of the pine cones. We had a, this delicious and like sweet syrup. Now it could be like, we discussed about it earlier in the last interview or before we were chatting, that it'd be great for me like great medicine for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're for taking, me, I, so you take a glass jar or whatever jar uh -huh. you're using, but I'm assuming a glass jar and you put your cones, pine, your green pine cones, pinion pine cones in there, and then you cover it with like sugar a or a, are you covering it with like a syrup that's already liquid or are you covering it just with brown sugar? No, I covered it. Well, I've done this twice. One was with brown sugar and then another batch was with, made with a uh, coconut sugar. And either and way, are you adding any water to this? I'm not adding anything. I just okay. make sure it's sitting in the hot sun. So what I did was so I sat it on it, concrete. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I let the sun and I've read different things where people say, don't put in the sun. But I, when I didn't put in the sun, when I had partial sun and, and more shade, it didn't, it didn't, you know, break down as well, you know, yeah. and the, the batch that didn't break down, what I ended up doing was blending the pine cones together with the brown sugar, sifting it through. And I ended up with this beautiful um, pinion pine infused brown or coconut sugar. Oh, that sounds it was tasty beautiful. too. Actually. It's tasty. So this is something that I, I work with uh, more as when I'm cooking culinary, you know, when yeah. I'm making special dishes, I, I go to those. It's my special batch for yeah. special events. Nice. Nice. But, I could um, see yeah. how you could potentially do that with honey, but it would already be like, it would just start off syrupy, you know, mm -hmm. it was start off. Yeah. It was start off syrupy. I thought about doing it with honey, um, but I, I wasn't sure if it, how long it would take to break down. The thing that I liked about when um, the, once the pine cones opened, the pine nuts were released. You could yeah. add, we were actually the other night uh, eating dinner with some friends. I made a dessert with this, but we were actually, I dressed some of the plates with the pine cones oh. and we're sharing, breaking them apart and like eating the pine nuts that were so sweet and so amazing. And it makes you appreciate That's why so... they're so expensive in the yeah. store. You know, yeah. like, all the work <laughs> Hard work. Pick one out. It's hard work, yeah. but you appreciate it when you do it yourself. And then we were even eating the cone itself because it seemed to break down. It was softer and it was just so sweet. So I can, well, next year <laughs> I'll send you some <laughs> when it's that time. I'll, oh. I'll gather some because. Oh yeah. I'll be amazing. waiting at the mailbox when that comes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're lovely, but um, the, the pinion pine, it, it's, it's great medicine. The, I mean, I've made tinctures using the resin before, but I found um, making tincture with the needles was a little bit 
easier. Yeah. Uh, it is. Um, it's a messy process working yeah. with it. But um, something have you used I it as a topical about... at all? Have you used pine yes. for topical? How, yeah, I do. How does how does that up here? We have I have Douglas fir and that, so I use that as my topical, like for warming and a warming oil. How about the pinion pine? How has that worked for you? It's a warming oil. This is uh, one of the. Uh, it's in uh, the pinion pine resin oil is something that I made in um, my warming vibes that I have. Nice. It's something. Yeah. And it's also in another healing one. It's called wound kiss, but it is warming and it's drawing. It's, it's, it's stimulating the blood circulation. I find that if I have achy joints, mm-hmm. um, my mom who has arthritis, this is something that works for her. I, you know, I, I yep. climb a lot, so I'm always achy mm-hmm. after we yep. climb. So this is something that, you know, we put on and, and it does help. It, it stimulates that blood flow and it does help warm that area. And it, comforting it's 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 uh it's like you know I don't want to say what's it's not as it's not as burning as some of the topicals that are out in the market that people buy when they're having uh achy joints and muscles but it's a nice warming sensation that it's it doesn't hurt to put it on and you don't freeze when you walk into a cold room it's it's very lovely and it smells so good too I actually use it as a perfume nice nice Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Okay, I got to ask you, desert willow, plant or tree or bush? <laughs> it's actually a tree. Is it? And it's a tree, yeah. And and the thing I like about desert willow is I actually want to start this hiking group because there's been folks that have died out hiking the desert because they don't know how to survive. But oh, if God. you're stuck in the desert, desert willow thrives and washes. Ah. Um, and waterways so she is a water hog <laughs> that's what i call her <laughs> so where desert willow is there's gonna be some water and if you're stuck in the desert you know you can sustain yourself by like eating some of her flowers they're very delicious and the smell is intoxicating it's like mm. this musky wonderful smell that i would love to capture and make a you know a oh. perfume out of someday i don't know how to do that but um something i've been talking to another herbalist about like different ways to make it happen. But um, it's, she's also very medicinal as well. Uh, I like to use her as more when I'm dealing with sore throats. Um, bronchitis is something that I work with her more. So because it's, she is, um, there's mucilage in the plant. So I find that it's very coating and soothing. And um, especially if you've got that sore throat, the tail end of a cold and it still lingers, this is something that she's wonderful to work with. Mm. Oh, that sounds really nice. And she's antibacterial. I'm sorry, antifungal. So this is another blend that I've used for yoni steaming, um, working with candida. You could also use it for a sitz bath if you don't know how to yoni steam. You can make an infusion of desert willow. And this is something that we could work with, uh, you know, when we're treating yeast infections and so forth. Okay. So we've talked about yoni steam twice now. You're going to have to tell us exactly what that is because I think for many of our listeners... That I mean, for me, that was like, I didn't understand at all for a while when I first encountered that term in practice. So explain. Okay. So Yoni Steaming, I was introduced to by a gal. Um, her company is called Steamy Chick. And <laughs> <laughs> she's That's an funny. amazing woman. Her name is Kelly. And she's a sweet woman who uh, basically using plants to address certain issues that women deal with. Um, I used to have a lot of, you know, 
issues with candida and and I was always given over the counter medicine and it was really hard you know because I I would take this medicine and it just seems like I became it was my diet basically I I used to eat really bad and um then I discovered yoni steaming so this is something I made my own you know Kelly does offer uh, through her website steamychick.com she does offer uh yoni seats that you could buy or yoni thrones Okay, so we're gonna my... get we're gonna get really like explicit here. How does a yoni <laughs> okay. steam work? You got your plant herbs, then what? You got your plant herbs. So you want to pick the plants that are going to uh, work with what's going on. So when if I'm dealing with candida yeast infection, I'm going to work with some astringent plants. Sure. And what I do is I boil a pot of hot water like I would make an infusion, and I take a, about half an ounce to an ounce of each plant. And I make a tea or a strong infusion. Now I do this, you know, I'm all about saving money. You don't need, I, I don't want to spend money on stuff that I don't need to have. And sure, I don't want to yeah. create extra clutter. So I have a Dutch oven. And what I do is I have two by fours that I stack on top to create like a seat. Um, so I could sit on, so I don't burn my bum. <laughs> and I basically wrap myself, I get naked and I wrap myself up in a big blanket I have a large skirt that I bought at the thrift shop that I cover up to my chest and I just throw over to create a tent. Okay. And I wrap myself up in a blanket. My head's the only thing that's exposed. And I sit, it's almost like being in a sweat lodge. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I, it's kind I, of like creating a mini sweat lodge for your nether regions. For your yoni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a yoni facial. So, um, but what I found was by working with yoni steaming in conjunction with other methods, like I'm a fan of, you know, making garlic suppositories um, to help address those issues. And I found that I didn't have issues with, you know, yeast infections as much anymore. And I, I And you changed your diet at the same time, right? I changed my diet. This is when I began. Not as much sugar. I, you know, and I cutting on carbs. Yeah. Diet is a big part of it. And also, um, I used to love to drink a lot of wine and hydration is another thing. Mm -hmm. So our diet changes, but also it's like what plants we're taking in. It's not only like the steaming that's going to help. It will help you. But I find that working with nourishing herbs and making herbal infusions and drinking infusions every day also helped me get over a lot of the problems I was having. That's Yeah, that makes sense. I was just reading about treating candida through you. Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine's approach to it. And I mean, one of the things that in that I was listening to reading uh, Leslie Tiara's books, and one of the things she emphasized was that if you're dealing with candida, whether it's yeast infections in your, you know, vaginal area or anywhere else, diet is the key. You can you can treat the topical, the infection topically and get it to go away. But ultimately, you really need to change your diet. And anytime we're Definitely. dealing with stuff with steam, whether it's a facial steam or or a yoni steam, there are some dangers. Uh, yeah, people, I keep thinking that seems awfully like, you know, could you scald yourself accidentally? I've talked to people <laughs> that have tried it and they had unpleasant experiences, particularly for yeah. the delicate area. Could you address some of those uh, safety precautions? So one thing that I, I do, uh, I, yeah, I should have touched on that. Yeah. Don't want, you want, I cover the pot, you know, because I want to trap the steam in there and I let it settle for a while. So I'm not maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes after I make my herbal infusion, 
for the yoni steam, um, will I do it? But I also can tell, like, if it's still steaming after 20 minutes, but it's still really hot, if you get that water just really boiling, I don't sit on it for almost an hour sometimes. You, I feel like sometimes it's too hot that you can. I've burned myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time I ever tried it, you know, the first time I ever done a yoni steam. And I learned from reading other blogs by on steamy chick uh, website of how to control it so I definitely for myself I I don't I don't sit right directly over it I that's why I create like a stack almost like what's that game where you stack all the little wood chips and you, you know you try to pull or oh, not Tetris that, uh, Jenga, Jenga, the Jenga. Yeah. Jenga mm-hmm. yeah so Jenga your Dutch oven and your yoni pot <laughs> and that's what I do is I make sure that when I'm stacking these two by fours this is something I create at home but folks there's websites that create yoni seats I yeah. can make my own so that yeah. I'm more I'm more creative so I stack them and I I don't I don't sit right on it right away you know I, I wait okay. for a while because I you so can burn yourself yeah that was one of the yep. things I wondered because I mean I do facial steams um when I when we've got like colds and flus especially if sinuses are getting really clogged and closed I'll often pull out the you know the bowl and boil the water throw the herbs in there and then you grab the towel put it over a tent like a tent and you're breathing it in kind of like the old-timey movies mm-hmm. so I was thinking, wow, you know, that stuff's pretty hot, but my face is weathered, as it were, because it's always exposed to the outer elements. Yoni area, not so much so. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like that could be really yeah, scalding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. it, it is. It's, 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 you know, you definitely have to take it. I don't encourage anybody to just do this at home without doing research. You know, I was actually in herbalist school when this was happening. I was doing this, you know, learning about how to make my own pot because I have, I've tried everything from a Pyrex deep dish pools. <laughs> like I, I get, I get real creative of how to make a rig happen, but that's right. just, I'm that kind of a person, but I, I definitely know that you can burn yourself. So careful, if yeah. you're starting yeah. out and you know, you're unsure, I would, it does sound it does sound like thinking in terms of thinking of it as like a mini sweat lodge or a sauna you know a damp sauna you know being careful and being smart about how much you expose yourself yeah. and you know all of that backing off knowing yeah. it's okay to do it for just a few seconds and if it's too hot step away right. you know yeah it's such it's, a delicate I, I, area like we, we tell people when they do steams is close your eyes. That's really yeah. delicate tissue. And just because something's from nature doesn't mean it's, it's something you should stick in your eye. Yeah. Um, no. Just because something's yeah. from nature doesn't mean it's something you should stick uh, in your underwear. Like just don't make those assumptions. <laughs> yeah. So I will, you know, for transparency sake, let you know, this is way out of my comfort level. Yeah. Sue's been squirming <laughs> over I here. I'm completely squirming. <laughs> so I strongly advise people uh, do yeah, like you said, do your research. Your research. I don't know do of it research. as being a traditional. Although I understand in Thailand people are are doing this, I don't know of it as being a traditional method for working with folks. And I I really really strongly recommend people talk to folks that know. Don't just stick a hot pot in your butt and then call no. it good. Yeah, unpleasant things may happen. At the same time, I'm always open to hearing how new ways of handling what what our changing culture is like it's good to find out new things 
So, it definitely is. And yeah. there's a whole process to it, you know, that like you want to lay down after a yoni steam. So I, I've been talking about yoni steaming because I've discussed like the herbs that help candida, yeah. but I definitely encourage people to not do this themselves, you know, seek a professional that knows Get more about help. it before you yeah. try it on your own. Or mm-hmm. do your research, just like before you go into the desert to do wildcrafting, make sure you do your extensive research, mm-hmm. you know, definitely be smart. Yeah. So there, there are other, there are definitely at least a couple others. I remember you mentioned you were interested in talking a little bit about desert mallow, and I think there was possibly one other. The so chaparral. Well, we, yeah, we discussed that in the. Yeah, in, well, we kind of touched bush. on it. There's, I think brittle so bush was brittle the bush. other one. I think brittle, brittle bush was the other one. Um, uh, we discussed desert. Did we just? Yeah, we discussed desert lavender. Um, sagebrush is one that I really love. Okay. That is in abundance to us here as well. Sagebrush, I actually make a bitters because Ooh. I have a sensitive stomach. So this is something that I love uh, to add sagebrush to. But uh, sagebrush has many medicinal uses. And this is something like if you're trying to break a fever, she's a diaphoretic that mm-hmm. you can work with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you drink her warm, um, she's also pain relieving. It's an expectorant. So I feel like this plant is Wow, and I can harvest. Yeah, and I can harvest this plant at any time. Like I, I've harvested her in the winter, but it's better to do it in the late spring. I found, but um, she's very antimicrobial as well. I've actually worked with her when I'm working with people that are experiencing dandruff because it's also antifungal. So this is uh, something that I can make a, an infusion with with oil. You could do olive oil coconut oil, whatever menstruum you choose. And I found that she's, you know, her properties being an antifungal is very great to apply to the scalp topically if you're experiencing any issues with psoriasis, um, as well as the uh, dandruff that I've noticed uh, an issue with in my industry with being a hairdresser. Yeah, hard um, water dandruff kind of stuff. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And she's great for anybody that's experiencing any type of gastric uh, cramps, any type of gassy cramps. That's why I work with this plant for being a bitter. Even if you were to drink a tea, it's, she's really great, um, for that as well. But I found the most success, uh, with working with this plant for any type of like, if you have a cut, any type of, uh, like wounds that you want to heal. Um, something that I noticed when I cut myself pretty bad, uh, last, last, uh, fall is, I, I, I'm a slow healer for some reason, but when I work with sagebrush, I notice that I kind of heal up right away. Like my cuts nice. are gone and, and I want to say within a week, well, actually, yeah, probably within a week, I feel like I'm pretty, um, cleared up, but this is something that I don't like to drink as a tea. It's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> it is an artemisia. Strong. Yeah. So last, like, like, like working with, like we discussed your basanta, um, how you use too much Candice. Yeah. (laughs) Like working, you'd only need a little bit of this plant to work with for it to even, you know, be effective. And, and so I've had friends in the past have had delayed, you know, mince, you know, menses. And this is something that I did make, um, to help stimulate. So she definitely stimulates, you know, our moon, and, and it's, it's too much, like if it's too much, it's too strong and it's not a very pleasant tea to drink, but it's, it seems it's like a lot of them, a lot of desert herbs are ones that you can, you should start with just a small amount. 
and then yeah, work th- up if it makes sense. But a lot of them, it sounds like a lot of them, I mean, they're small and they pack a lot of punch into every square mm-hmm. really millimeter, really. And I don't know if that's just, uh, it's weird. It, it, it's like that with every plant that I've worked with up here in the high desert. It's like pinion pine, juniper, um, you know, working with sagebrush. I find our creosote as well. It's like less is more with these plants. So when people are working with them, like you don't need to take an ounce of it like you would with nettle, yeah. you know, to mm-hmm. actually get a medicinal if you're making an infusion. It's like you really don't need it to be that powerful. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, truly, it's a, a, real, a radically different ecosystem from an area like like the one that I live in where we have mm-hmm. an abundance of water. So things will grow big and they expand. And mm-hmm. per square millimeter, there's less densely packed essential oils, less densely packed nutrition, whatever, whatever it is yeah. you're looking at. And in the desert, everything, there's so little water, everything that's grown there has learned how to pack everything it's got into the smallest possible space so it can keep itself as small as possible. So there's the least amount of um, dehydration or you know water respiration, water going out. Mm-hmm. So that means all the medicinal qualities are going to be packed into a tiny, tiny space comparatively. Yep. Definitely. And it's, it's like you said, uh, with being I, I guess it's just like the lack of water that we have here I mean we've had a good rain season last year and even with that it's just you you, you really don't need that much because these plants are still going to behave and 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 be in this you know act in the same way they're still going to be very powerful mm-hmm. so this is um for me the desert's very powerful medicine both spiritually and on the physical level for me this is just really strong medicine that the desert has to offer yeah, I really appreciate you spinning. Is there any more things that you want to add for anyone who's doing wild crafting or yeah, visiting I, of the desert? I was going to say that the three like really big rules that I've got here, that and some of them are kind of the same everywhere, like leave the plant as if you were never there. Exactly. Truly, that's the same everywhere, but I think it's more intense in the desert mm-hmm. because the plants are mm-hmm. so small and everything is you know right out there in the open. Right. So you don't want to leave your footprints behind. Um, ask permission, harvest properly, oh. read up, be mindful, make a good offering. You know, all of that is much the same as everywhere else, um, except that offering water is mm-hmm. really, I think that was, that's wonderful. I love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And um, yeah. the I, thing that I think is like the most potent thing is the idea that less is more. The desert's powerful medicine and you need very little of it. Yeah, we def- you definitely need less. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to gather so much. So, um, yeah, it's, I feel like you touched on everything when it comes to, like, wild crafting here. Um, just be very mindful. And one thing is I don't tell, like, I, I, I try not to. Social media is a big thing. And I notice right. with a lot of herbalists, a lot of wild crafters, we're not sharing the locations that we're necessarily, you know, gathering. I know I don't because I don't want it to become uh, oversaturated with folks mm-hmm. just yeah. with, you know, this new interest in herbalism and their lack of education. So I, I really urge people like, for instance, Michael Moore is great. And so is Charles W. Kane. And there's so many other, you know, herbalists out there that, um, that talk about desert plants and, and how to harvest them, you know, Kiva Rose, I mean, being where she lives, she still has some plants like juniper where she lives. Um, but she does talk a lot about how to harvest. So I really feel like 
folks need to educate themselves before they get the bug to just try to come out in the desert because we do, we, we're not thriving. It's so dry up here. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not like going into the woods. It's, it's not like that here. It's, it's very dry. So you want to make sure that you're, you're gathering these plants at the right time of year, because it's sometimes more medicinal to harvest, you know, in the winter for some plants than or in the spring and others or late summer. So just education is key. I've always said that. I can see how, especially because of the dryness of the desert, that probably makes a, a much bigger difference than it does in the more lush areas of the country. So, I mean, you can get yeah, away and- with, you know, harvesting nettles at the beginning, middle, or you really shouldn't do it at the very end of sure. the season. Or unless start producing flowers. Back yeah. Off. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but even then it, it all depends on what you're harvesting them for. Right. If you're harvesting a uh, nettle flower, for example, yeah. or then the that seed. would be the time. Or the seed. Or the but, seed. but sure. I mean, right. but you can get away with more of that. It's a wider circle of how long you can harvest because mm-hmm. it is so lush and the climate change is not, I mean, the desert's a harsh climate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not forgiving. Definitely yeah. harsh. And, and make sure you're dressed properly. You know, make sure you're wearing, <laughs> oh, yes. Take lots of water so you can offer the plants and make sure you're well hydrated because Let people know where you are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And know where you're at, you know, but make sure you're, you wear proper clothing when you're doing it because it's pretty brutal out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, it's pretty I'll, brutal. In Oregon, we lose people to on mushroom hunts all the time. Mushrooms have become the big deal and we have more and more people. Uh, running around in the wilderness, looking down at their feet, not looking at where they are. And we, every year we lose a mushroom hunter. That's something that I want to get more uh, into is mushrooms. We obviously don't have them here. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) Maybe. No, Mm -hmm. probably not. There's some, there's some cool mushrooms that even grow in dunes. Yeah. I have heard of that. Yeah. You got to know where to look though. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I think I've seen a mushroom here and there, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what, you know, they are. I only see them when I'm backpacking or I'm in the mountains. I don't Mm -hmm. really see them where we're at. Yeah, best to leave mushrooms alone until you have someone who can show you for sure what you're looking at. Because, you know, making the wrong choice with a mushroom can be deadly. Yep. And Mm -hmm. the wrong choice is so easy to make. I mean, it's scary easy to make. So. You don't have to stick everything in your mouth. But, you just enjoy it. You know, right now I'm thinking <laughs> the desert sounds like a fun place to be going. Oh, yes. It sounds like yeah, a magical it. and powerful place to be going. Oh, it is. It is. And Joshua Tree has really, since I first moved here, it's grown a lot. So um, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have the most epic sunrises and sunsets and the stars are beautiful. So yeah, there's a clarity that comes. Mm -hmm. There's a clarity that comes with the desert. It's desert medicine. Thank you very much for being with us and sharing your wisdom. And Um, how do people get a hold of you? How do people get a hold of you? Um, I have a website. It's everyleafspeaks.com and there's links on my website to my social media. Um, I, I, I've, I've been bad with Twitter. Uh, It's really hard. I know you're great Candice. (laughs) You're a great candidate with Twitter. But um, yeah, I do have that um, as Facebook and Instagram, of course. But I'll, I'll get better about Twitter. But there's all links on my website. And I have an online store in which I'll be offering pretty soon um, desert medicine to buy in bulk and dry bulk. So um, yeah, I'm getting busy now that we're in that season again to start wall crafting. Yay. Well, yeah, thank you so bye. very much. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Patrick. 
The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication. Or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem, any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.